Hello, and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and a software developer at Axonic, Sarah Tori. In this episode, I spoke with the product and platform CTO at Tech Mahindra, a large Indian telecommunications sector, Peter Pabst. Peter is responsible for Blue Marble, which is an e-commerce software solution for telecommunication companies, as well as the Configure Price Quote Omnichannel Sales Platform. Blue Marble system is also integrated into the telco's business support system and operations support, which allows the customers to self-activate and use the self-service interface with chatbot capability when help is needed. So considering all that is required of this platform, Peter explained the beginnings of Blue Marble and how it evolved from a monolithic system into microservices using CQRS and event sourcing. He walked me through the decision-making process and how his team began by making their own in-house implementations of CQRS and event-sourced applications and eventually choosing to use libraries and frameworks such as Axon Framework. He also explained why they decided to use Axon Server Enterprise Edition. We also discussed dealing with privacy and how they managed to handle sensitive data. Lastly, Peter talked about the future of telecommunication and some of the services that use event sourcing, such as machine learning and 5G technology. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Peter and let's have a listen. Hi, Peter. How are you today? Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thank you. I'm uh, all good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here. And I'm excited to talk to you about some uh, really cool stuff regarding telecommunication and uh, microservices and so on. But before we get there, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Where are you located? A little bit about your background that you'd like to share? Yeah, yeah, sure. So my name is uh, uh, Peter. Uh, I'm pronouncing it in Dutch. I'm from the Netherlands. So Peter Pabst. (laughs) Awesome. And I'm so Americanizing it, Peter. (laughs) Yeah. Apologies for that. Yeah, you have the, the, the beer with my last name as well. I'm always uh, interested in how you pronounce it, actually, in, in English. Pabst. Pabst. Okay, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm Peter Pabst in, in your language. <laughs> okay, <great. laughs> I'm uh, glad we clarified that. <laughs> um, I'm located in, uh, uh, in the Netherlands, southern parts of the Netherlands. I know for, for most uh, listeners, probably, the Netherlands is a, a, a tiny dot on a map somewhere, but... Uh, I'm in the southern parts of that. You you can drive to the other parts of the of the country in in like three hours. So it's a very right. small country. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm all the way down south to the Belgian border, and and on the other other side is is the is the German border. Nice, yeah. awesome. And uh, what do you do, Peter? And uh, what is your background? Yeah. So um, I'm currently working as a product and platform CTO in a company called uh, Tech Mahindra. Uh, which is located in India. Uh, it's far away from right. my uh, from my home location. <laughs> so there's so a you're bit of a... currently working with two crazy time zones. One, I'm in the US talking to me, and then you have people. Yeah, in India yeah. Well, yeah. if 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 that was all, then uh, my life would be easy. But uh, no, we <laughs> TechM is a very big customer, uh, a very yeah. big company, and we have customers all over the world. So uh, there's no lag of time zones to uh, to work in. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, 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 that's the case, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for a uh, um, a product there called uh, called Blue Marble, and mm-hmm. Blue Marble is a, um, um, a software which uses uh, CQRS and event sourcing as some of its uh, architectural principles. That's how we got to be in this talk. Yeah, um, exactly. 
but there's some history to this. So I, I used to be um, specializing specifically in e-commerce. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to have a company and uh, uh, doing that like a little little agency while I was uh, in university. Okay. Um, and I got hired by a client for one of my clients, a client mm-hmm. uh, who were building a software solution in the telco space. Okay. Uh, as a consultant, and I started out there, and eventually that thing grew and grew and grew uh, uh, into a spin-off. Uh, the owner of that acquired my company, so I could work there uh, with all of my people uh, mm-hmm. in that thing full time. I had few positions, became the okay. CTO over there, and that spin-off eventually was acquired by Tech Mahindra. So acquired okay. by a company from the other side of the uh, uh, of the world and that's how i came to be in uh, uh, in techm very short version uh, <laughs> very short version of, of a very yeah. very interesting eventful um a past so you talked about uh, your university so did you study um computer science there and software engineering, software engineering? Uh, okay. i have a bachelor in software engineering and i have a bachelor in network infrastructure design okay okay and so before that's that I, I did something in yeah, yeah, yeah. I I got I got through some some hoops. I got here. I, I before mm-hmm. this I I used to be in industrial automation, so PLCs, SCADA, yeah. uh, electronics on uh, in factories and stuff like that. That's what yeah. I did for for a brief period. Yeah. Uh, so I'm also an electrician electrician by trade. Actually, a <laughs> certified electrician. <laughs> That's awesome. Somewhere in uh, somewhere in my history, but um, yeah. yeah, from there I got into software engineering and. Uh, uh, yeah, to where I am today in the in the telco space. That's really great. So I did promise uh, right before we started uh, recording that I wouldn't talk about, or I wouldn't ask you about, you know, when your world started and start from the very beginning. But I'm curious, were you one of those kids who uh, liked to take things apart and put them back together? Oh, that yes. Kind of thing? <laughs> yes, very much. Very much so. Uh, right. Radios, uh, uh uh, computers, uh, uh, mopeds. Uh, right. uh, yes, this is what I like to do. I uh, sometimes I even manage to put them back together. Although the right. uh, breaking breaking down often was easier than it's always more it fun too, right? Yeah, it's more exactly. fun as well. Yes, exactly. Yes. I ask. Uh, yeah, my my uh, husband likes to uh, take things apart, and we have this joke that sometimes when he puts them back together, he ends up with extra screws, and we call them extra parts. <laughs> right? They're not necessary. <laughs> And now our two boys who are five and three, they like to take things apart and just go in there and discover things. So, yeah, this is going to be fun. <laughs> that, that's that's how you learn. And that's that's how you exactly. might end up being a CTO in, in, in a telco space. In and India an engineer. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So good, good stuff. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, Tech Mahendra as, as a whole. It is a very large company. Uh, started to give maybe the U.S. listeners an idea similar to maybe like AT&T or Verizon, although probably bigger. Um, so give us an idea. What what does it do? What kind yeah. of services yeah, do so, they so provide? So it's a, it's, a, it's a huge uh, system integrator from India. And actually, they are located in the U.S. They have a good U.S. presence as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have many customers there. And it's no secret that, that AT&T, for example, is uh, is one of them. Right. Uh, one of the key accounts for, uh, for Attack Mahindra. Right. Um, there are close to, and now I didn't study all these numbers, so forgive me if I make a, <laughs> a mistake left or right, but there are over 140,000 people in Tech Mahindra. Wow. Um, Tech Mahindra also has a, a, a parent company, a group company, and that's like a conglomerate of uh, uh, all <laughs> kinds of, uh, of industries from agriculture to, to cars. Mahindra okay. makes cars. 
nice. uh, in India. Uh, and I think some of those at some point were exported to the U.S. as well. There might be a interesting story there, but uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm not aware of those details. <laughs> um, so it's yeah, just of it is a very big company. Um, yeah. It's uh, uh, the 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 comp- competition would be uh, uh, like an Infosys, uh, a TCS to some extent, an Accenture. Uh, these these would be uh, uh, cognizant. Uh, these would be companies that that TechM typically competes with. Right. TechM is specifically strong in the uh, in the telco sector. Very 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 long back, it started as a I don't know if you can call it a spin-off or a joint venture. I'm not sure about the exact term, but it started yeah. in between Mahindra Group and BT uh, in the UK, British Telecom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it has its histories as well, its origins in uh, uh, in telco. Well, yeah. it is in every industry today, but uh, uh, yeah, Telco specifically is where, yeah. where it has its strength. Yeah. Awesome. So you mentioned uh, Blue Marble, which is the um, basically technology or maybe a it's a product. Yeah, it's product a, it's a, of yeah. Tech Mahindra that, uh, that you currently um, are managing and you're very much Correct. involved with. So um, was Blue Marble the um, the agency that you had before, or the product that you had no, before, no, 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 that no, was acquired, no, no, no. or yeah. it was just something completely different. Uh, lots, lots of evolutions between then and uh, then and there. <laughs> and but uh, okay, gotcha. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, there, there were some some acquisitions along the way. Uh, uh, a company called mm-hmm. DynaCommerce, which was the one I was working for, was yeah. one of those. I used to have a company right. which was called Rapid Commerce. There's some some overlap mm-hmm. there. Right. Uh, but no, the, the current. Today's Blue Marble as a as a product is uh, is a result of some some acquisitions and some uh, okay. some of in-house build uh, IP within Tech Mahindra gotcha. uh, uh, itself. Yeah. And what does Blue Marble do? What is this yeah. product? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a it's a it's a sales platform, and you mm-hmm. can imagine that if you uh, go to an AT and T or a Verizon uh, yeah. or a Comcast or uh, whatever there is in your all market, all of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Or right. a Vodafone or a, or a BT in my market, just to throw in some names, not to uh, right. have any infl- uh, conflicts. But uh, uh, if you go like to one of those companies, th- those are our end customers, uh, not specifically anyone that I can say, but uh, yeah. uh, that is the market that uh, uh, that we work in. Mm-hmm. Um, they provide services to their customers. So your cellular service, as an example, or your video streaming um, or your fixed telephone line or your fixed broadband line. Um, and they often sell those services together with uh, with goods. Like when you buy a new uh, phone, you will often pair it with uh, headset, maybe an upgrade. Yeah, uh, yeah a headset, but maybe an upgrade with your, oh, sure, uh, with sure. your postpaid subscription itself. or... Right. Right, so you combine the the services with the goods element, and that's mm-hmm. really the the angle that we that we come from. So we provide a system for telcos, which allows them to sell uh, products and services to their customers. That's a very simple, simple, simple example of it. Yeah, uh, and I think many people can imagine e-commerce. Right, you have a right. catalog where you define your products. You have a shopping cart where you put them in when you're buying them. Then you check them out. You have to put in some data, and that results into an order. It's yeah. very much like that, except in telco, there are a lot of additional dimensions to that. So for one, what you are buying will often have a variety of, of ways that you pay for it, right? So you have right. charges when you use it. You have things that you pay recurringly, like a, a monthly bill or a weekly bill or whatever yeah. bill. Um, there's charges you have to pay up front, and those might be paid for in a traditional way with a credit card, or they might go on your first bill. 
as an example. Sure. Uh, so there's a lot of complexity uh, uh, from that angle. Also, there's one big difference with traditional e-commerce. Um, if you have something, like you have an existing service, like maybe you have an existing postpaid subscription. Postpaid means I pay it in a bill. Uh, and then you're buying something else, like maybe uh, a fixed line, a broadband, a fiber, uh, or maybe you're buying a streaming, uh, a streaming service, then what you have will influence what you can get. And then when you have a contract with it, of course, you cannot always terminate. Sometimes you can, sometimes you cannot, sometimes you can prolong. Uh, sometimes you have to pay a penalty if you terminate. Uh, all those kind of complexities uh, um, are something that we deal with. And then if you have the, the service aspect with the physical goods aspect, well, when you activate a, uh, or when you buy a subscription, it has to be activated on the network, your eSIM, your, uh, your physical SIM card. Um, if you buy it online, preferably you get the device at your house and it's working when you get it, right? Uh, uh, or, or like a modem or a handset, whatever. All these things yeah. go together and uh, they form all these nice complexities uh, uh, which the software deals with. This is really fascinating. This gives me a whole new perspective of how my personal phone bill probably works. I have to go dig in there and <laughs> figure out yeah. what's in there. This is really fascinating stuff um, that I personally hadn't really put much thought about it. But yeah, uh, de definitely they have to be managed. And uh, uh, also they have to be able to uh, with as as the customers uh, grow and as your uh, basically audience grows, you have to be able to scale as well. So that's one of the things that um, I think was a definite challenge for you. And that's yeah. kind of what brings us to this whole complex situation with, okay, do you do you have a monolith at the beginning? Did you have a monolith yeah. at the beginning yeah, of yeah. your system? We, and then yeah, how we, did you evolve it? Yeah. yeah, we very much did. So, so the element of scale. Now imagine you're a tier one, as we call that. So you're you're uh, a big telco with with its own network. Probably we call that a tier one, certain size, probably yeah. your own network. Uh, in some countries, uh, um, like India or the US or Germany or Russia or other markets, um, you can have up to 100 million or even more subscribers, right? right. And as a subscriber, you interact with our platform. It's not just when you buy something the first time. It's also right. when you change what you have, right? So you will use your self-care app, probably. Uh, you add um, a data roaming bundle or you uh, add um, a Netflix or, uh, you know, whatever streaming services uh, is there, an HBO maybe on your end. Um, yeah. And uh, that interaction goes through this platform as well. So there's quite some interaction with this platform from end users directly. When you walk into the store, when the agent, you know, helps you, he's interacting with this platform to see what you have, to see what you might buy, or what you should buy, or what you can buy. Um, when you call the call center, uh, the same story. Or when they call you, right, outbound uh, as well, right? You're, you're being targeted for some reason. You Maybe your, your subscription is ending or maybe... Uh, uh, they like you a lot and uh, want to make you an <laughs> offer, you know, probably right. just when you're having dinner, right? That's when they'll call you. Exactly. Um, so uh, all, these <laughs> all these interactions. Or when the kids go, are having a tantrum. Uh, right? <laughs> exactly. That's when they call you. That's, we, we, exactly. we put that in the software as a feature. That's, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, it's like you have, all, a, you have all, a camera these, in my life when to call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not uh, liberty to to talk about that. But uh, <laughs> no. Oh, but, but all these all these interactions, they right. yeah, they, they generate lots of lots of transactions, and they generate lots of data, right? Right. Um, 
So scaling for sure is a challenge. And then also when you sit in the upper parts of the system, like we do, close to the channels as we call them, then you expect that interaction to go quickly, right? You don't want to, for example, or a silly example, you don't want to wait five seconds for you know, your self-care page to show up or three seconds for your product detail page on, on an eShop. You don't want to wait for your app to start up. All these things need to be pretty snappy. Otherwise, you're going towards, you'll be considering a, a, a competitor, right? If, if all of that is, is very slow and you have to go through that all the time, you might look at uh, other options in the market, right? So in, right, in the exactly. customer experience part where we sit close to, not, not just the factor of scale, which is there, mm -hmm. uh, but also the uh, response times of things are, uh, are very important. Now, that is not necessarily how we got into this, uh, this set of architectural patterns. So uh, we originally built for a way smaller market than, than the type of markets we, we serve today. So our first customer, I think, was between 3 million and 5 million subscribers. Okay. Uh, and for t today's terms, that's not a lot, right? We, we go right. up to uh, 100 million. So uh, we started in a way, 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 way smaller uh, yeah. uh, mindset. And then also we started in predominantly original, the assisted channel. So where an agent is interacting with the customer, not directly the digital channels. And there's way less load there and it's way more predictable because so, so many people working in the system, right? Your employers are work uh, employees are working there. Um, so we started off in a uh, in a monolithic architecture. We, the first versions of the um, first a project and later it became a product. They had to be delivered uh, uh, quickly. It was based on a lot of uh, uh, open source software um, as well, um, and it was a very monolithic architecture, service service oriented kind of uh, uh, of architecture with some monolithic front ends and uh, VC applications uh, uh, sitting on top. That's how the solution started out. Yeah, and in terms of time, what year um, are we talking about when you first started? This, this is uh, eight years back. Eight years. Eight years. Uh, eight okay. Years back. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then so, that's where you started, and yeah. 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 That is where we started out in life, and we started with as small companies do. We started with one team of developers. We were starting with one customer. Um, and then things start scaling, right? So then you get more customers and to serve more customers, you need to accelerate your roadmap or to get a bigger chunk of the market, you need to accelerate your, your roadmap, which means you uh, add developers, your functional areas expand, right? There's more functionality in your, in your application. So more teams will come. Um, right. Teams need to be uh, driven by other people, right? Product owners, yeah. product managers, uh, whatever structure that, uh, that you're following. Uh, like stakeholders, more and more stakeholders will uh, of course, will yeah, you have more demands. Yeah. <laughs> right, definitely. So, so that will happen to your uh, to, to your application, and and then you're basically looking at working with a with a lot of people on on a single code base where everything is tightly coupled together, right? So that is when yeah. we first started looking at uh, new types of architectural styles mm -hmm. to deal with that scaling problem. At that point, not necessarily from a runtime scaling perspective, right? So serving a lot of traffic on your platform, more from yeah. an organizational perspective is, is how we got into this. And did you um, have an idea of where you wanted to go or was it some sort of trial and error period where you kind of uh, tried different technologies, different architectural designs, and then uh, decided, hey, this particular yeah. thing maybe is not working. Maybe we try something different. Yeah. So how was your process? Yeah. Can you kind of walk it, me through it? Evolved, it? it evolved a lot, right? So we started yeah. out in uh, basically a monolithic PHP-based uh, application, mm -hmm. MVC, Xen okay. framework, and later uh, uh, Lumen, whatever was there. Yeah. Uh, and then there 
different teams came in, a different part of the organization. Uh, the back end of that predominantly was in uh, uh, .NET. Um, okay. And and that is that is how we uh, you know had the first few iterations of the uh, of the product and then scalability, uh, you know managing technical depth agility uh, became challenges uh, and yeah. we basically decided that uh, we would want to start completely over again. So we had all these learnings and we were in the, the third iteration of the of the product. We were building what was supposed to be or which was going going to be the uh, V three. Uh, GA yeah. release, and we started completely from uh, uh, from scratch there. Um, and we decided on yeah, well, it's hyped as a name these days. Some people don't even want me to use it anymore. But the microservice <laughs> architecture uh, uh, thing we got into at that point. And um, mm -hmm. one of the architects uh, 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 in my team, he had worked with CQRS and event sourcing before, and he was a big okay. advocate of the same. Mm -hmm. um, and we built some services in that architectural style. First to, um, let's say, uh, complement our monolithic application. Right. Uh, and then later on, we started, to, once we had some experience in, set, in that, we, we said, okay, this is the, this is the way. Um, and we started rebuilding the entire project, uh, a product in that, uh, in that architectural style from scratch. And we actually started using Java mm -hmm. uh, at that point in time uh, to do it, which was not 100% a technology choice. Uh, yeah. It was a skill choice. It was the skill set that we had available in the organization at that time. Okay. Yeah. Java very well established in the uh, in, in the telecommunications industry. Oracle has a lot of products in uh, uh, in telco as well. Um, so that is where, if you look at developers who had experience with domain knowledge of the domain we were sitting, they were often Java developers. And so right. we had a lot of those. And yeah. that is uh, one of the uh, contributors to go for for a java stack uh, back then yeah um, we started with event sourcing and and, and cqrs uh, with our own implementation and we had a very okay. big discussion in the architecture team um, are we you know using this pattern consistently for everything are we using it only for some services and are we using different styles in in other parts of the system are we going for a library approach or going for a framework approach uh, will we do it from scratch or will we adopt one of the frameworks which, uh, uh, which are out there? We did a lot of POCs. We did a lot of uh, uh, testing. And we had a very, very strong engineering team uh, back then already. Um, and initially, we decided that we would do this ourselves. So okay. uh, we created our own uh, CQRS event sourcing library uh, in, in Java, uh, predominantly supporting generic infrastructure options like uh, uh, MySQL, uh, like uh, a Kafka or a RabbitMQ, variance options which we which we supported, um, and the first iterations actually used that, um, and and it worked, <laughs> it even worked quite well. Yeah. Uh, so, so that is how we, we we started out live, and we, we had a good knowledge of all of this in house um, because we build all of this. Exactly. Um, so from there, challenges were mainly in. Uh, initially resourcing. So CQRS and event sourcing are quite complex patterns and they are, uh, you know, not every developer's bread and butter, right? It's, sure. it's a yeah. different way of, uh, of thinking. It's a different way of, of problem solving. Uh, and you're not going to source a lot of people from the market who have those skill sets from the get-go. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And if you build something in-house, then uh, finding some 
people in the market for something which you build internally, of course, this is impossible, right? So yeah. scaling of those skill sets, scaling of those teams became one of the first challenges that we run into. Absolutely. So I have a, a few questions um, based on what uh, you just explained about this uh, yep. really complex and also fascinating process of moving from uh, a monolithic system into microservices. Um Sort of going back a little bit and rewind, um, you mentioned that, so there, there were a few things that really uh, got my interest. One is that you said uh, you decided to basically build the system from scratch. Did you, uh, but then you had some systems that were still communicating with this monolithic system that you had in the first place. So did you decide to uh, create these maybe two or three other systems that were communicating with your uh, original system in CQRS event sourced based kind of applications. And then did you then after that decided to completely discard your uh, first application that you had? How, yeah, how so, did that work exactly? Yeah. So we started off with a decomposition strategy where we said okay. that, uh, um, let's say we, we, we have the functionality in, in, in our monolith. This was a very simple example. It was about customer search, actually. So yeah. you're, you're, you're a, a rep in a store or uh, in a call center and mm -hmm. somebody starts interacting with you, then you have to find that person. Right. Uh, that sounds very straightforward, but there's lots of complexities involved there it in the talk domain. Yeah. For example, yeah. you might have multiple accounts and we need to identify that you are the same uh, the same person. Mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, a GDPR and, and other uh, kind of regulatory regulations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's a lot of considerations there. Um, right. And that, that was our first uh, implementation with our first mature, after all the POCs, first mature implementation with uh, CQRS and event sourcing. We mm -hmm. basically decided to put it as, uh, let's say, something which sat next to the monolithic application which was there right so yeah. from the front end which was served by the monolithic application uh, some some ajax calls would go into this new microservice uh, once you started searching for for a customer we did that okay. by giving it its own little front end in react which was embedded in the uh, uh, in the monolithic uh, uh, front end let's say and making call outs into this microservice that's actually something we started uh, uh, repeating a few times um, and we did that predominantly for, for new functionality, which we were adding. But at some point, we had to uh, you know, deal with what we had before. And that's when we really said, OK, we'll start completely from, uh, from, uh, from zero. We'll use yeah. what we've learned, uh, mm -hmm. but we'll start it from zero, get rid of all the technical depth, yeah. uh, uh, and start from there. So that, that's how that process went. Gotcha. And you, then you mentioned uh, there were two things that um, I want to ask you about. So one was the mindset, of course, when you're when you're trying to move into uh, using a whole new technology, uh, it's not just about the learning curve. Um, of course, you have a, a set of really intelligent people with you kind of making these decisions together with you. But uh, so the learning curve happens, right? Um, you can go and learn about these architectural concepts or if you're Moving from .NET to Java, you can you know learn this new language or what have you, but it's that mindset that a lot of times kind of stops people from moving forward because they're very much used to one thing and now you're basically turning it upside down and breaking into pieces and getting yep. sort of on board with this whole process can be challenging. Was it challenging in your uh, in your oh, team? Oh yes, very much. Um, so. 
when you're an architect, you have a kind of a helicopter view of everything which is going on. Now, when mm -hmm. you sit in a specific uh, functional team or, or scrum team or whatever terminology or, or organizational structure you're following, yeah. then you're very much focused on uh, a, sim a si single thing. Right. And um, it took a lot of time convincing the, some domains and others mm -hmm. less so, but some domains that uh, this complexity was warranted. Yeah. that uh, changing this approach and adding complexity, CQRS, in, in my opinion, is one of these things which does add complexity. It's not, it doesn't Absolutely. come for free. The yeah. benefits, don't just, you don't just get them. Uh, um, there's complexity involved in that. And right. it was not easy to explain everybody mm -hmm. why that was justified. And in retrospective, there might even been, have been some domains where uh, it, it, I might have done it without CQRS and event sourcing, uh, um, and had good for, results for, too, probably. <laughs> and had good results as well. But yeah. from a consistency perspective, and, and later right. on, I do think that's a good choice. Uh, uh, we decided to adopt these approaches uh, mm -hmm. over the entire spectrum, and not not yeah. everybody was on board uh, uh, from the get go, especially yeah. because this library approach, which we chose in the beginning, um, required developers to have quite um, quite some knowledge in depth. Uh, yeah. to successfully apply it. Of and course. Yeah. then once you pass the stage of development, you need to operate this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and in our case, there are multiple instances of it being operated, right? Originally, right. Uh, we delivered predominantly on, on private clouds and in, in those days, uh, eight, eight, seven years back, yeah. nine, six years back. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was operational teams that either we as a TechM would, would put there or the customer themselves had mm -hmm. operating this system. And then predominantly it would sit on a MySQL and it would sit on a Kafka or a RabbitMQ as the default choices there. Yeah. Um, but if you are a DBA and you've seen applications on a relational database with an ORM before, uh, you have a certain way that you expect data to be there. Now, all of a sudden, you have these two components, uh, a message broker and, and a relational database as an event store. It's, it's denormalized or, or the structure, is, the structure is, is, is gone. You're no longer seeing your tables. You're no longer seeing the queries as you'd expect them. Of course, um, and that's nerve Then there is this projection <laughs> database yeah. there as well. Uh, and in our case, we had some projection databases. So in the Elastic and Mongo we used in, in, in that space and still do. Um, and, and then all of all of a sudden for these operational guys, also life gets a lot complexer. And then when you develop all of that uh, infrastructural code yourself, you also need to support all of that, which is quite a big investment to make. Not just do I need to find the architects and the developers and do they all need to understand this uh, this pattern, purely at theoretical books with our own implementation. I now also need to have a lot of operational teams uh, uh, understanding this. And that's where we realized that we, we, you know, that is not our core business. Our core business is to bring business value to our telco customers and functionalities that we bring them, uh, not in implementing CQRS libraries. <laughs> Of course. Um, and that is when we, um, you know, started looking at uh, uh, available frameworks. open source implementations in uh, in the market, right. frameworks and libraries and the like. Yeah. And we started um, benchmarking those. And that's how we eventually uh, ended up at Axon, which happened to be a Dutch company, which I didn't know. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, you didn't yeah. know that at the time. <laughs> I didn't know that. I had no clue. Okay, Actually, yeah. Yeah, I had no clue there was a company behind it initially. Um, right. We thought it was just an open source project before, and it, mm -hmm. it had some traction. And the way that, that things were done, 
the, the way that things were abstracted, uh, let's say complexities were abstracted from our developers is what really, mm -hmm. really appealed to me. Um, so we, we POC'd a few of these these frameworks and, and actually ended up selecting uh, an axon to, to adopt. And then we rebased the entire product uh, over a few releases to uh, to an axon framework. Axon framework application, yeah. yeah. And then, um, so of course, at that point, you were very familiar with the with the patterns and the concept yes. itself. In so depth. In exactly, depth. because and because you started building it sort of um, on your own in your own team, then yeah. um, moving to a framework, I can imagine, was not as maybe challenging because you're already very familiar with the concept. Yes, and, you have a yeah. good group of core people who truly understand what it is mm -hmm. about. So you don't need to go all of that learning process again. You learn mm -hmm. everything the hard way, but then you also yeah. uh, appreciate the uh, the small things, right? Because it's easy to say, okay, yeah, I have an event store and I'll write my events mm -hmm. there and then I'll throw them on a bus. Uh, but then how do I handle replays? How do I handle item potency? How do I handle truly scaling this thing with multiple instances? Uh, right. How do I handle consistency? That is also not a small problem uh, in, exactly. in a secure S implementation. All these things you have to deal with uh, mm -hmm. uh, yourself if you're writing that implementation. And for sure, that's not impossible. Uh, yeah. uh, but from a business perspective, it just didn't make sense investing uh, that amount of money. And then yeah. there's another dimension as well from, let's say, a, a CTO or a CIO perspective, mm -hmm. um, which is that um, if you have a vendor supporting your relational database and you have a vendor uh, supporting your, your message broker, they, of course, will do that as per their SLAs. But they often also do not understand this pattern where, where those two things come together. So they are not going to, to support it on, on a high level. They're going to support it you know, once you do the query into the database or once you connect to the queue or whatever. You don't get an overarching uh, a partner that supports um, the entire thing with their own expertise and with their own innovation. So all of that you have to do uh, uh, on your own, uh, which just adds the need for um, you know subject matter experts to be there, which explodes, let's say, the the resource need that you have. And that is why, uh, uh, which was another reason that Axon for us. Uh, uh, I don't, this sounds like I'm making an Axon commercial now. Then. <laughs> Get me wrong. I also it's have good, my, my challenges. But, and, <laughs> but in this, and in now this we case, come to the conclusion of this. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. But no. but it's actually uh, I'm really glad that you came to this point because I was going to ask you. Um, you did mention that you were using um, other databases and systems like um, yes. MongoDB or RabbitMQ, and uh, you were using Elasticsearch and all of that. Um, so at some point you decided that, okay, so instead of having uh, various experts and various platforms, let's use Axon uh, Server because it works very well with Axon Framework. It's yeah. purpose-built. It's, you know, it, it does the job properly, um, yeah. I'm assuming for, for you guys, and that's why you, you went with it. Um, how was the transition that kind of maybe... <laughs> Tell me, tell me more about yeah. it. Yeah, there's few angles to this. So yeah. from a development perspective, of course, less relevant because yeah, you're, sure. you're working on the framework predominantly and it does support mm -hmm. open source options in that space as well. Right. Uh, this was really a, a choice driven from two angles. Mm -hmm. um, one, of course, was is, is the one that I mentioned. So it's an operational choice where you have a single vendor, a single partner who will give you an SLA. Right. Uh, uh, plus training material to enable your people in exactly. a single package, right. which is very appealing from a commercial perspective. From a technology perspective, um, one of the challenges we started facing is that if you you can imagine if you handle 
you know, uh, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 million customers yeah. uh, on a platform, that scalability is a thing. Now, of course, none of our customers run something which isn't uh, high available. Uh, right. But then you get into customers who run uh, in uh, multi-geo or multi-availability zones, multiple mm-hmm. data centers. Mm-hmm. And then you have to deal with um, state in three distinct different solutions. You have it in your event store, which might be on a relational database, which is a challenge to scale uh, on its own. And sometimes you have it in a message broker to some extent, you have it in your projection stores. So you have a lot of state spread over the system. And then to make sure that that is high available, that that is replicated and that it doesn't go out of sync and that it doesn't cause consistency issues, that is a real challenge. and that was another driver to look at uh, uh, to look at Axon because it's yeah. only a single component that then takes the responsibility. Not 100% true. We still use separate projection stores, but okay. at least for the source of truth, the mastery of the data, there's one component um, that handles its uh, uh, its its replication and that handles uh, high availability with Raft in the case of uh, of Axon Server. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was a big driver to. Uh, um, you know, to standardize on Axon Server. That's, that's sure. event, yeah. eventually what we ended up doing. Even though Axon's framework supports multiple options, right. for our customers, we have a big solution to test, certify, support with, with a big support and delivery organization behind it. Um, so that's why we standardized on an Axon Server eventually there. Gotcha. And um, you mentioned uh, something a little bit earlier about um, kind of this whole onboarding uh, process. And... Uh, as in terms of the development, you know, of course, your developers can do certain things, or if they're not on board with it, maybe they don't continue with with your team or what have you. Um, but since you are in more of a managerial position in the business side of things, um, can you tell me a little bit about the process of uh, getting the company sort of onboarded with with this change? Did you have any challenges doing so? Um, of course, there's always cost involved. And how did you kind of overcome those challenges? And did you personally have any um, reservations about whether or not this was yes. a good path to go? Yeah. So, so at this point in time, I wasn't uh, in the position in the organization as a CTO that I was the guy to convince. So I didn't yeah. have to convince anyone else. I was mainly okay. the guy. Uh, Who are convincing uh, yourself? Convince it, it was my. Yeah, it was my responsibility. So, um, <laughs> see, CEO doesn't really care, you know, which which databases you you pick. But uh, of uh, yeah, there's there's a, there's a cost to to each and every one of those, right? And mm. including Axon. Axon also isn't for free. The enterprise version, yeah, which we need because of high availability. So, right. Uh, I for sure had reservations. I'm a very pragmatic uh, uh, guy, uh, mm-hmm. and I do not like complexity. And unfortunately. There is a lot of complexity exactly. in these uh, uh, in these patterns, right? So right. Uh, it was absolutely not my um, my first choice. Uh, but okay. these patterns do allow you to Fair solve enough. problems, right? Which were an issue uh, in in our application before. So, for example, um, creating an open architecture. So, if, if you create a monolithic application, there are very few places that you can hook into, except that when you you know purposely you know add an API to to do something with or add a webhook to do something with. Right. Um, in event sourcing, when you propagate those events and you can hook into them and you can react on them and you can use use those to feature your data warehouse, you can use those to uh, trigger something in your real time decisioning or in your BPMM, whatever you have. Uh, right. You create an open uh, an open architecture, which was a uh, uh, basically forcing 
uh, us to build a system in an open way without us having to think about it uh, constantly and, and make changes, which made it easier for delivery teams to take this product. And if yeah. you take a product, you take it as is. You don't take a source code or something. You take binaries. Right. Uh, and it made it easier for them to um, to extend that, uh, which yeah. is something that we do in our tier one customers. They'll buy something, but they'll want all kinds of stuff with it. And they with want it, it exactly. integrated. And they want, right. it, they want to have the data in their data warehouse uh, and all of that. So that open yeah. architecture perspective um, that made a lot of sense. The event-driven thing before made a lot of sense, but then yeah. specifically event sourcing forces you uh, to have not those events as a side effect, but uh, inherently there are events of everything which changes in state. Rather, you, you thought that you needed that or not. You create that, that pattern that way, and it creates a very open, uh, yeah. uh, open architecture. Um, and then there are other things which we needed to do anyways. For example, auditing. Right. So the audit trail, the immutable uh, uh, events, and and, and, the, and all of that, I'm sure all the listeners are well aware of all those uh, all those arguments. But in the enterprise space, that's something you always need to do. There's always a requirement, right? This is a system where there are sales. It's a it's a public facing system, so uh, it's also sensitive. You'll you'll find from time to time, right, that uh, products leak. Like there's a new product, a new phone being announced, but there's some vendor who accidentally puts online the uh, the product detail page leaking uh, information about the product. So even from that perspective, not, not just the obvious stuff like payments and bills and orders, but even on that space, just adding a product can be sensitive. Um, and that is uh, where that, uh, that angle of immutability, uh, um, you know, really helps. Yeah. Um, Plus the data insights, right? So, so exactly. a lot of these things started making sense to me when I got into it, thinking that, okay, yeah, these are things we used to do before, but usually as an afterthought, right? This, a separate sprint, a separate functionality, a separate module. Uh, 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 so we, we need to do these things anyways. And in, in these patterns, we got some of these things uh, implicit, of course, at the cost of some other complexity, which was there. So just for our situation, for our domain, for the things we needed to do, uh, uh, it started to make um, a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and then the main challenge initially was that uh, the engineering costs were multiplied because of the complexity. Of course. So we had to, to yeah. take that away. Uh, and that is where, where Axon helped a lot, right? It's, it's quite an easy framework to get into as a, as a Java developer. So yeah. there's way less of a learning curve uh, versus what we did before. And the same is true for, for operational folks. Right? right, so th those were really the, the the USPs from an axon. If you talk about it from a commercial uh, a commercial angle, versus the doing everything in house, having different message brokers, different event store, different projection stores, and and a lot of moving parts uh, in the solution as a whole. And exactly. then of course, those databases. Some developers might not get in in their minds here, but okay, they are free, right? I I, I don't need to pay for those. Yeah. Uh, but in the enterprise world, that isn't true. You'll get requirements like uh, certain availability and support requirements, even on an open source database, which, which mm -hmm. has a GPL license, whatever. You're mm -hmm. going to need to support that. And then if you look at the commercial open source kind of model, like a Mongo has uh, or an Elastic has, uh, you'll find that uh, the things that they put in the enterprise version are usually the things that you need to you confirm need to. to in the enterprise. <laughs> exactly, so right. uh, you, you still end up buying license for, licenses for those because, yeah. Uh, yeah, the requirements which are there mandate, for example, an encryption at rest are, are you know, those mm -hmm. kind of requirements to be there. Yeah, and in your um, 
line of business, there's a lot of uh, sensitive information that you have to deal with. And there's a lot Very of much so. things that uh, have to do with, uh, as you mentioned, not only the the client's data and the customers that are using these products, but also in terms of the products themselves, what you want to be shared, what can leak and all of that stuff. So um, in terms of uh, keeping sensitive data and protecting that sensitive data, uh, was it something that you also used Axon Framework because uh, we do have a data protection module. Yeah, we use uh, we use, use Axon Nadia. DP. Yeah, for okay. for GDPR compliance, which is the right. which is the obvious use case. Yeah. Um, but of course, uh, there is there is more to it. So, mm -hmm. um, encrypting the data um, as selectively as possible and as early as possible. Um, yeah. Make sure that the data remains encrypted throughout the rest of the ecosystem, right? So, um, while we have projection stores like a Mongo, which are not an Axon, uh, right. um, by encrypting it early in the application, as we can do with Axon DP, mm -hmm. uh, it will make sure that everywhere where this data ends up, uh, it's still encrypted, right? It and it gives us an easy path to manage, um, you know, the 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 the, um, the data in the system and uh, um, the keys for the encryption so we can uh, um, you know comply with a uh, with a gdpr for example of course um, yeah. while still retaining valuable business information right so rather right. than going into the maybe in the traditional world go into your rdbms uh, mm -hmm. go in there and and purge your tables or delete your rows or uh, whatever it is you do there to to comply with the uh, right to be forgotten yeah here um, we can retain the data we're allowed to retain which is very valuable business insights later on, yeah. right? I still yeah, know absolutely. that there was a customer who bought something. I don't know yeah. who that customer is, right? But I know that they bought something. I know you have how the they gist bought of it. The information, yeah, exactly. Right. So I, I have that uh, uh, as an additional uh, plus. Then, if you look at some of the data sources that I mentioned as a as a projection store, and then the commercial element as well to go for an enterprise version or go for an open source version and buy support from uh, from a vendor. Uh, well, one of the things that this Axon DP approach uh, brings in is that you can keep your data encrypted at rest as well and other sources where you're keeping it. Or right. if accidentally, uh, uh, you know, you're logging too much, maybe that happens in production from time to mm -hmm. time, right? right. So we're, we're logging messages as an example or um, we're logging calls between systems. Then I also make sure that that information will not cause leakage, right? Because that information mm -hmm. remains encrypted even in those logs. So yeah, that's another uh, that's another solution which we adopted pretty quickly. And you have to in the event sourcing world, you have to do that when you're in the enterprise space because of GDPR. So that's not it's a no brainer. Uh, exactly. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> we do use it, and it has more benefits than just G GDPR. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we do apply it uh, in our products. That's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, yeah, lots to lots to have to you know consider and make these decisions, and um, it's. It's good to be, I guess, in that position where you have options and you have choices and you can go with what, what makes perfect sense for uh, for your business case, which is really, really um, fascinating and interesting. And I really appreciate you sharing all of that with me. So um, what's next for you? Are, um, are you guys uh, still going into um, more complex patterns? Are you kind of staying where you are? Is this uh, working long term? Um, Oh yes, the, yeah. Well, the, 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 there's no, there's there's a lot of so so the 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 telco industry is going through an interesting process uh, to begin with. So the five G, yeah. you've heard about it, uh, yes, uh, before, I'm right. sure. 
Um, so 5G, except from the technology point of view, um, is supposed to be a turning point for our customers, the, the telcos. They yeah. happen to have allowed themselves to become commodity, right? You have these yeah. open-ended data plans, uh, uh, open everything, open term, open. Uh, you, you basically get unlimited for, for a, a fixed amount of, of money each month. And there's very little that they can do to differentiate themselves because the next one, does exactly the same. So you right. have two of three, two or three of these in each market tier ones, uh, uh, and they, they have become pretty much commodity. So their business model, the way that they make money, has shifted from the early days, paying per minute, paying per SMS, paying per everything you do, into having everything unlimited for a fixed amount of money each each month. And then there are very in, you know uh, bold companies who, who who take that very far and who compete others out of the market and so what the telco industry is looking at is is for different ways to monetize their services and 5G will bring some of those models specifically for example in the B2B space uh, so 5G will allow way more things to be connected uh, like your car and your washing machine and your lights and the things you might already be locally doing on your Wi-Fi network um, right, and, which yeah. reminds me, you said washing machine. We just bought a set of washer and dryer, and it's like you can control this on your mobile. And I was like, oh my of gosh, course, one yeah. more app on my cell phone. Now, now this will be your Wi-Fi, which you require, but all of that will move right. on the internet directly with with five G, right? Including your car and all kinds yeah. of other things. So, the way they are going to charge for this, the way they are going to make money out of this, is going to change, and that's driving a lot mm. of, uh, uh, you know. Uh, developments in our uh, in our industry right now, supporting yeah, all those imagine. even more complex, crazy uh, monetization models. That's that's one huge drivers. Then of course there's the uh, uh, machine learning, which is a big component, and event sourcing there again also plays uh, a connected role to that. Very valuable data source generating mm -hmm. lots of data, which we can use to learn behaviors of our customers. And there's lots of development going on there. Right, we want to go right. towards. Uh, chatbots, or we are using chatbots uh, right. uh, a lot uh, uh, for cost optimization. We want to get to know our customers even better. What mm -hmm. is the best product for you to buy next? What's the best thing for you uh, uh, to do next? What's the next right. thing you might do? Right. So, so those are, are areas that there are lots of investments and developments uh, in, in ongoing. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So very, very different from the um, from the years of uh, the past, where I remember as a kid we used to dial the phone and it was this like rotary thing for each number we're far 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 away from that which is yes. really exciting stuff so it's it's really fascinating and i really really appreciate you giving me your time today and uh, explaining really tiny bits of it really because i'm imagining there is just a million other things that's uh, that's <laughs> happening at the same time that i can't even wrap my head around at the moment but <laughs> there's just there's just a lot and um managing it and making those decisions it's um it's a big responsibility i'm sure and so i um appreciate you spending some time with me today explaining some of it to me and uh, kind of walking me through your process of uh how you ended up with cqrs and event sourcing um, from your monolithic system i really appreciate that thank you so much peter and uh enjoy the rest of your day thank you yeah thank you very much Thank you so much for listening to my talk with Peter. I really hope you enjoyed it. Please join me next time for other exciting and fascinating topics. 
Until then, have a great time and happy coding.